Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. What you probably already know about Gabby Reese is that she's a former professional volleyball player, a TV personality, an author, a model, and a fitness advocate. What you might not know is that she has an artificial knee. Gabby had knee replacement surgery in April 2016 on the same day that her husband, surfer and fellow fitness enthusiast Laird Hamilton, had his hip replaced. Since then, Gabby has been on a road not just to recovery, but pointed toward progress. It's a journey she's making with the help of lots of physical therapy and, other than immediately following surgery, without the use of prescription opioids. Gabby is now serving as a spokeswoman for the Plan Against Pain Public Awareness Campaign, which, like the American Physical Therapy Association's Choose PT campaign, encourages patients to explore safe, non-opioid approaches for the long-term pain management of most conditions, consistent with CDC guidelines. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, Gabby discusses her mental approach to staying in shape, the difference between discomfort and pain, her opioid-free approach, and her goals for the future. Here now is our conversation with Gabby Reese. Gabby, you played volleyball professionally. Recently, you hosted a fitness-based reality show on NBC called Strong. And in between and around those things, you've really done countless things in the area of athletics and fitness. And so I really wanted to start by asking you a question that's so basic, I'm almost wondering if anyone has ever asked you this question before. And that's this, what do your health and wellness mean to you? You know, for some reason, I, a long time ago, you know, kind of intuitively felt like it was one of the more important things that I owned. I sort of have come to the place where I always say, besides like my friends and family, the greatest thing I own is my health. So maybe it was through athletics, but I I still think I was quite young. I think that feeling of feeling healthy or even actually maybe dealing with day-to-day life um, from a kind of an exercised, you know, eating well place seemed to be easier to conquer (laughs) versus... um, you know, I always joke that it's the cheapest therapy we can get because, you know, let's say you're dealing with stress or even things, you know, we have gearing from growing up or whatever. It sort of early on became evident to me that I just seemed to function better as a person. I felt happier when I was moving and eating and, and trying to be as healthy as I can. So versus it being kind of a I don't want to say a fanatical thing. It it was just like a a thing like, oh, this makes sense. Everything flows better. But also at the end of it all, when we're running around chasing things and getting things done, why? And this seems like a a pretty important thing to pursue. Sure. So, you know, you mentioned the fanatical thing, certainly. and, And, you know, I don't want to put a negative connotation on it, but there are people that are extremely into health and wellness and fitness and they're bought into it. They They get all the positives that you mentioned out of it. But we also know, you know, America has an obesity epidemic that's in part inspired by increasingly sedentary behavior and inactivity, particularly among kids. When you look at that on the whole, do Americans take our own health and wellness as seriously as we should, do you think? Well, I just think it's a cultural conversation. I think we have a lot of conversations about 
the pursuit of money and, and certain things, but I don't know that culture, we've had this conversation of us coveting our health. So I think it's a combination of sort of how we've got all this technology and all these things that make us so make it so that we can be sedentary very easily. We can still work, um, make a living, and but we can do it from our chair. You know, in the days gone before, part of our work was actually moving. So it was sort of a two-in-one, and I don't even think people thought about it, right? I don't think they were thinking, oh, I, I need to get my exercise. I think they were working so much that um, that wasn't really part of it. But I think now we've flipped it, and I, and I just think we ha- we don't teach our children. We don't have a dialogue or you know, great examples of this is something as you go through life, you know, be an honest person, do all these things, and taking, you know, let's talk about that health is important. So I think that has more to do with it, and and people are really busy. They're uh, going in a million different directions. They're plugged in, you know, 100% of the time, and so I think it becomes increasingly difficult to um, for them not only to find the time for it, but then again, um, the understanding of why it, why it feels important. So you basically, you know, speaking of being busy, you built a career kind of around fitness and exercise and, and that, that space. And, and I'm curious for you, you know, yeah, I think for some people exercise is, is that burden, right, that chore to be sure. squeezed in between work and family and fun. Is exercise ever a chore for you? Absolutely. I mean, I always laugh. I'm like, you, you guys think, people think I fly out of bed. Like, I'm so excited today to train and, and um, you know, maybe not eat certain foods. But it's not the case at all. I think for me, it's I've taken, I took the emotion out of it. So it wasn't, it's, you know, I liken it to if, like if your kids have to get picked up from school. Most of us running around are not like, I'm so excited. I get to, you know, go and drive and pick them up one more time, you know, from school or but you're not going to be like, well, today I'm just not going to make it. So I think it's almost like treating it in some ways in the way that we treat the things that we know we have to get done. But then I'm always like wondering how can we do that in the most kind of creative, agreeable way for us. So, for example, if someone's like, listen, I absolutely hate the gym, then can they figure out a system, a formula to make themselves successful? But yes. Put in things that you like. So it means, okay, you're an outside person, so meet your friend to do outside activities. Um, I think it's not a question of, you know, I'm in love with it. It's a question of I try to create a, a, a system and put it in place so I have to be accountable and I can be successful. Because very few people, very few, can get it done on their own. So you have this system. You have this positive mindset. So you at least believe on the days that, it, that it's hard, that it's work, all that you're doing. So I'm, I'm curious then when when basically your, your health kind of gets taken away from you, you know, yeah. through injury or aging or whatever, what, what, how that feels. You recently had knee replacement surgery. What, what was your life like that led you to believe that, that you needed that? Well, I was in a pretty great discomfort for about 14 years. And, um, you know, my knee felt like at certain nights after certain activities, it felt like metal on metal um, burning and, it wasn't actually the pain that led me to get into replacement. It was the lack of function. So I used to be able to train or uh, get physical therapy or do things to kind of get myself back a little bit to even. Not necessarily, never pain-free, but just functioning. And um, the year prior to when I got the surgery, I lost function. So all of a sudden now I'm, I'm not able to train or PT my way into bending my knee and um, getting out of at least 
the moderate discomfort. So that's really why, you know, my doctor told me years ago, and I never believed him. He's like, you're a very good candidate for knee replacement. And um, again, the the pain wasn't a problem. It was it was the function. So it was a hard decision to make, and and also because of my age, but. When I lived with it for that long, and then the last year, I I was ready to roll. So you know, you mentioned pain wasn't what led you to knee replacement, but as you approached knee replacement, you made another decision um, that, that was key to to what happened after the surgery. And while knee replacements are becoming common, the decision you made at the time was maybe a little bit ahead of its time. You decided you wanted to go through your recovery without relying on prescription opioids to manage the pain. And and what led you there? Well, first of all, I want to be really clear. I was in the hospital for about a day and a half, and they did give me there in the hospital uh, strong prescription um, anti-inflammation uh, medicine. Sure. So while I was there, they did give me that. But when coming out, I think, you know, all that I've heard and learned, it, you know, I have friends that they go in for um, an orthopedic surgery, and then they, they take uh, painkillers and, you know, anti-inflammatory medicine, and then they end up dealing uh, some people are vulnerable, um, quite a few of us, to being becoming having an you know a problem, an addiction problem. And so, I'm not so high-minded to think that because I try to be healthy and I'm diligent that I'm I'm not susceptible as well. Because it, it you know when you when you really start to learn about the opioid problem as far as people being feeling either they're reliant upon or addicted to painkillers or opioids. It, it isn't a gender, an age, a religion, you know, ethnicity. It doesn't. That's not how it picks you. So, I just thought I don't need to go down that road. And I think if I did my, if I was diligent, that I I could deal with it. But I'm not going to lie. There were days that the nights of of maybe not sleeping just in the beginning were were tricky. But it just felt like why play with fire? And so I just stayed away from it. So I want to talk about your recovery in a second and, and how you went through that and approached it and, and getting back after the recovery. But before I do that, I want to ask this question. You, you're, you were a professional athlete. No doubt, you know, you already referred to this. You, you've obviously suffered injuries over the years and, and managed to wait through that. Do the words pain and discomfort mean different things to you, or are those the same? That's a good question. I think... Certainly, they're very different to me. I think discomfort is almost something that you learn. Even when you train, for me, at the level that I have had the opportunity to train at, and, you know, you, your sort of discomfort becomes almost like a friend where you go, okay, <laughs> here we go. And then pain, you know, something becomes chronic. I think it's it's it it, it kind of messes with you in a whole another level, even – I think your nervous system, I think just life, it starts to get a little harder when you're dealing with real pain. And, you know, not to be an over salesperson, but after I had my surgery, I then was approached because of this story. So for those out there, if you are considering getting an elective surgery, which an orthopedic surgery is considered elective, there's all these unbelievable programs now. So planagainstpain.com, you can go there, and people can actually bring questionnaires to their doctors. Because now I did a a project with a doctor who he's been doing two years of uh, surgeries and some are joint replacement, and he, he all of his patients have the opportunity to do it opioid-free but also, you know, pretty pain-free. So they sort of say if they can get people through the first kind of 48, 72 hours um, not being on opioids, there's a lot of new options now for people. So if you ask me the difference between pain and discomfort, 
I think there's a big difference. I think discomfort is almost, for me, it's sort of a part of life. It flows in and out. And you go, I'm working hard. That was uncomfortable. And pain after, and again, chronic pain, that's stuff that it, I think it starts to really hurt your capacity to enjoy life and and, uh, and deal with things, and, and I think they're very different. And again, I wanted to ask that question kind of as a baseline for the next part. You know, you mentioned after the surgery, obviously, you did get prescription painkillers, you know, and that's very much in line with, with guidelines. But then as you, you went to for your long-term recovery, you wanted to go opioid-free. And so in, in that transition and in, in, in that process, how much pain did you deal with and, and how much was discomfort, you know, and what was what was right. the ratio for you? How hard was that process? You know, another thing I've learned is is that pain is a very personal thing. You know, like for me to say, well, my pain and then your pain, I think people also are very sensitive about their discomfort and pain, you know. So in this conversation, I, I acknowledge that, like that I know that certain people, it, they have different types of discomfort and, and real pain. So I know it's different. Um, for me, because I had been pretty uncomfortable and actually in pain with my knee, that part of the recovery, it, it, not that it wasn't so different, but it was. I was already living there. The physical therapy was, was pretty rigorous and it's still, um, I'm still following up on my, my physical therapy. So it's not like I was hop skipping and whistling on my way to PT because it's pretty, it's pretty painful. But my thinking is I was excited about the surgery because I thought, okay, now I actually have an opportunity to be better. Um, and it doesn't mean, you know, perfect and I have the knees of a four-year-old. It just means better. And I had felt so uncomfortable for so long that now I was actually looking at the pain or the discomfort as something that was leading me to a better place. Before, when I had the injury, I was actually dealing with that just to get to even. And so I think I've just tried to approach it with the belief that um, that the, the the amount of discomfort or pain that I'm feeling temporarily is still going to be better. Now, having said that, that's pretty brave. You know, that's brave talk. I could put my husband on the phone, and there's probably 30 times that he's like, you know, it's going to be okay. <laughs> so, I mean, listen, anytime any of us are dealing with an injury or or something, an illness. The other side of that is the emotion of fear of am I is this going to be better or is this going to be okay or am I going to at least be able to function? So I think when we talk about pain and discomfort, we also have to add it's sort of like um, I always say, you know, you're it's a, you're a lot less tired after you win when you compete, and it's the same where if you're dealing with pain and discomfort, but it's sort of to get better is easier than you're dealing with something that's chronic and and you and you can't, you don't know if you're going to be able to fix it or you'll be better um, or be able to do the things you love. So it's an interesting emotional, you know, component to it as well. But for me, I was like, okay, this is the road to, to feeling better. So I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to, you know, be rigorous about pursuing it, you know, take some responsibility and, and see how good I can get it. You mentioned the, the Plan Against Pain campaign and, and on one of the web pages that when it's talking about pain being personal, it, it notes that there's evidence that a person's expectations about pain relief can affect how well the treatment works. And along those lines, we've seen evidence that suggests that one of the reasons people get prescribed opioids in the first place is that patients have come to expect them. Yeah. Um, and I, I say all that is kind of set up to get here. Do you think your life experience as an athlete and a, a very health-motivated person 
helped give you confidence that you could recover without opioids. In other words, that that it was worth persevering through this pain or discomfort because that allowed you to believe that, yes, I can get beyond this, that there will sort of be a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel. I think coming from a athletic background does give you a little bit of a different relationship with it. Um, and also, you have to remember, I've been around a lot of people who've been injured and hurt because when you're in sports, you know, it's sort of part of it. And so I think that does give you sort of a, a quiet confidence that if you go, okay, little bit by little bit, and if I do the work, I can improve. But, you know, to your point earlier, I think it just hits us all differently, pain. I think people have to honor themselves. But if the idea would be, it's you know, I liken it to like when I go to, a, you know, a great restaurant. If I decide before they put the bread on the table, I can say no. If I haven't made the decision and I'm I'm up in the air and they put it in front of me and I can smell it, I might go, well, okay, maybe. And so for me, it was just more of I'm going to go for this. I'm going to try to do it this way. And then all the thinking that goes with making that type of decision. Or if you go, well, I'll just see. In those moments, you might be like, you know what, give it to me. <laughs> so I think, again, I respect everybody's situation, but I think also the pain's there for a reason. It, your body's telling you something, too. What did your physical therapy entail? How, how quickly were you, you know, back up on your feet, not, as you said, you know, not skipping necessarily, but, but back trying to, to work through it? Well, you, the, the interesting thing about uh, joint replacements is that you're up right away. So the whole thing is that that same day, um, the hip is even, e- you know, better. Uh, it's, it's, a gr- it's an easier one to, to heal. My, the knee's a little bit uh, more challenging maybe. But they have you basically walking and moving the first day, and then you feel quite vulnerable. You know, I can remember I went by a friend's house, and they have a big dog, and the kids and the dog were running around. And I, and I can just remember feeling like, you know, I really hope the kids or the dog, everyone just stays away from me. So you have that that you're dealing with for probably, I felt vulnerable that way for probably about eight weeks. Um, you're moving and you're going and you're doing physical therapy and you're, I was exercising and doing stuff, but it's definitely from a place of, you know, you have a different type of apprehension and guarding uh, than normal. And then I, I'd say after about four months, I felt less of that, but I still have a little, you know, hitch in my giddy-up, if you will, even now after uh, six months because the tissue was in such a short and compromised position for so long that my physical therapy entails, and that's another thing I think is important for people listening, sometimes, for example, the knee replacement is probably the symptom of a tight hip and, you know, repetitive trauma and my ankle. Um, and so what happens is when, when we get something fixed, we think, oh, it should be good now. But the thing is, we're a whole unit. So all of the tissue in my leg, my hamstrings, my calves, everything was shortened. So my physical therapy has everything to do with breaking up scar tissue and convincing the tissue to live in its new position. Now, I don't want to say that's frustrating, but I think for most of us, once we get sort of the, the thing fixed, whatever the, our issue was, we think, okay, we should be good now. But because we're a whole being, the rest of the body is compensated. So I think it's me making peace with that and also not having an expectation on time, right? That's the, what gets us in trouble is, why well, should be better by then? And when you're not, then you're disappointed, frustrated, worried. So I also went through that about four times. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be doing ballet by, you know, month two, and uh, that wasn't really realistic, <laughs> 
But it's, you know, again, it's like a, it's a journey within the journey and that one that you have to adapt and adjust. So you might be ahead of, of the curve on some things and behind, and that's okay. It's all part of it. Well, and I'm so glad you mentioned time, and, and this is why I think it's so powerful you're, you're sharing the story is, you know, you're Gabby Reese, and I, I think people would look at it and, and say, man, if I'm feeling vulnerable eight weeks out of surgery, like, you know, that can't be normal, but that's what you went through, and you're tremendously fit, and everybody knows that, and you're six months in, and you're, you know, still not feeling like you thought you would, and, and, and that kind of leads me to that. My next question is, you know, we're in a society right now where even the common headache is treated as if it's something that must be immediately medicated. And is is part of the solution to break out of this quick fix mindset? I, I mean, I don't. I understand the quick fix mindset. It's it's you know it's fun. It's it's um it's it's really marketable. But I think in the in everyday life, I don't know anything that's happens quick. You know, too often it's. And maybe through a lot of sports and a lot of training, you know, I've really come in close contact with that idea where, you know, little improvements here and there, they don't come easy, but they do come if you if you keep at it. And, and I think um not realistic for us to really think that a pill or something is just going to take care of it. I mean, in no other place in our life does that exist. And so... You know that thing of you know if it's too good to be true, it, it probably is. I, I'm I'm a believer in in process, um, even when I don't want to. Um, and and that doesn't that doesn't mean to say hey drag it out, or I'm not interested in people being tormented the whole time. But I think there has to be a conversation in hey I have my knee replaced. They took like some bone out. They cut it. It might take a minute for it to get better, and it might I might feel a little bit of you know, discomfort. I mean, that to me seems connected to, like, what's happening. Um, and cause I'm always amazed, like, when people are surprised. It's like, yeah, well, you just had a major incident. Something's just happened. Um, so, yeah, I, I would hope that in a way people would maybe embrace the process a little more because then also that's how you learn. The the other thing that's interesting about health and being better in injuries, if you want to try to flip it on its head to get something out of it, especially when you're down, is that's where you learn everything. I've made all my improvements through not being successful, not being successful. So um, there's things I'm learning now about stretching tissue and things that probably will serve me in 25 years. So I think the process is also part of, of it's so important because it's that's also what's teaching us. Not, here's a pill, don't worry about it, it's all taken care of. The Plan Against Pain campaign has many similarities with the American Physical Therapy Association's Choose PT public awareness campaign, and I, I think the biggest one is both campaigns urge people, uh, urge patients to remember that they do have the ability to make choices in their own health care. It urges patients to talk to their health care providers about their pain management preferences, you know, ideally before a course of treatment is, is even brought to them. Um, you know, we talked about all the reasons that, that you might have felt a little bit more confident that a, a non-opioid approach, you know, long-term could work, for example. Um, but but did you feel any awkwardness in, in going to your healthcare providers at the beginning of this and saying, you know, yes, I want this knee replacement, but no, I don't want opioids to be a part of my long-term pain management plan? Was that in any way awkward for you? 
No, and and I, listen, I'm going to say this too. And and my husband got his hip replaced the same day I got my knee replaced, and and he's an athlete as well. So we us coming in, and I'm you know I'm six foot three, right? So there's some. I know it sounds silly, but there's some things that I don't, I didn't have to contend with. And I'm used to doctors like rolling their eyes at me and stuff because. You know, we've we've been at this a pretty long time and, and sort of, oh, do you want to do the, you know, do the typical? And, and most times we've, Laird and I both have been like, no. So I've had eye rolling before, like, it's no it's not a problem. But I think more and more healthcare, you know, doctors and, and things, I think they're really open for this discussion. I just think it's, you know, like I always said, we have to be our, our best own advocates. And it can be uncomfortable because we think, oh, the norm is this. But at the end of the day, it is your body and your health. So, uh, again, we I think we get a little bit different treatment because we are coming from a sports background, so people do make it easier. But having said that, you know, we have a list of, of doctors that we've gone to over the years that, you know, they think we're, you know, crazy. And that and that's okay. I, I don't live with them. It's okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, they're, and, and listen, they're ultimately doing their job. And what I've come to learn through this process is, Doctors are encouraged to get patients into zero pain. And and so by doing that, how do they do that? They prescribe. And so because then if they prescribe and the patients are comfortable or in zero pain, you know, hospitals get higher scores. And there's all kinds of things going on that I, I think it's – I get it. But for the individual person just to go, hey, I just – I'm going to do what feels good for me and I'm going to be comfortable with that. And have a friend or a confidant or somebody that you can really go to – um, that not only supports you, but also when it's hard, because there are times maybe if you choose that route where you just, for different reasons, it's uncomfortable, that they reassure you that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fine. I mean, my husband, you know, it was like a running joke. He had surgery too, but again, the hip is apparently much easier to recover from. And, you know, here we are in week two, and he's comforting me like he never had surgery. <laughs> but that was helpful. These are the kinds of things you don't want to maybe go through completely alone. And so that's another part of it. Don't I'm not saying, "Hey, I didn't take the opioids and I did it on my own." And no, I you know, I cried. I had I had support. I had all of that, but it's but for me it was like, "Okay, this is I'm going to just kind of go through this." And really the hardest thing is to sleep. When when we can't sleep, cuz the other side of it is you'll talk to to doctors and they'll say, "Hey, the great thing about the pain meds is if it helps you sleep, that helps you recover, that helps you get in front of it." So there's a very fine line of wanting to make sure that we're able to stay ahead of it enough to recover, but you can't do it alone. I, you know, I I'd love to tell you I'm that brave and all that, but I'm not. And and dealing with if I have a doctor who thinks I'm you know Fruit Loops, I'm okay with that. <laughs> so what what has your physical therapy entailed? And you know, you mentioned you're still basically working a plan. So so where are you at right now? So we're, you know, whenever you have a joint, um, a knee replacement anyway, extension is number one. So you can fire all the muscles on the top front of your leg, otherwise known as your quad, and your VMO, which is this tiny little muscle um, on the inside part above your leg. That These muscles, it's really important that they work. So extension is important because the only way you can use them is when you have extension. So I don't have full extension yet. Um, so I'll go in and... There's sort of like the softer PT where it's sort of the invitation for the body to make the change, and those are nicer days than we're going to go in there and we're going to break up scar tissue and 
it, it's uncomfortable. They're bending it and, and doing and rotating, but it's it's necessary. And I was so shortened, and I play volleyball in a shortened position and trained in a shortened position, that I've already had two manipulations. So after one month, they, the doctor was not happy with the progress. They go in and they straighten it and bend it. So I've had two of those. So the funny side of it is my athletic background is also what's making my PT very, very challenging where someone's like, if I, how about me? And I and I say, if I was a 65-year-old, you know, average activity level, my leg would be straight already. So I find that kind of ironic and funny that me being really strong in this wrong position is why I'm also having to spend a lot more time than, say, even another patient. So I just want to close out with this. I mean, I say, you know, clearly this is all important to you, and you've got kids you want to chase after and stuff like that. I mean, what what are your your movement fitness goals? I mean, where where do you want to be? What do you want your lifestyle to continue to be from this point? Well, fortunately, I still am very very active. I just kind of work around it, and some days it's not pretty, and some days I modify. This is something that I've had to do that I really encourage other people to do is we we get into a track and we think this is who I am, you know my right knee's like this, my shoulder's like that, and I think if you ask me for me what I want in the future is I actually want you know healthy and dynamic and even flexible I can be to be still unknown to me because what I get myself into trouble is I define it, so I go, okay, here's my goal, this is what I'm going to do, I'll get there. And now I'm there. But what I've what I've started to learn is if we actually don't limit ourselves, and I don't care if it's a 40-year-old or an 80-year-old, if we don't mentally and emotionally first limit ourselves, I can't do that, I don't do that, this is me, this is my injuries. But if we stay open to maybe all these different modalities or physical therapies or ways to improve, we don't know. So you asked me my goal. My goal will be to be better than I've been, certainly in the last 10 years, um, which has been still pretty good. And also it's to maybe be open to being um, better in some ways than I've ever been and not define it and not limit it. But that takes work. That takes a little bit of blind faith, and that takes commitment to to that mindset. So that's something I have to almost reinforce to myself all the time. It doesn't just happen. Gabby Reese, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Learn more about the Plan Against Pain campaign at planagainstpain.com. Also visit moveforwardpt.com slash choosept to learn about the American Physical Therapy Association's Choose PT campaign. Resources include a free, downloadable pain profile you can use to help facilitate discussions with your doctors about how you'd like to manage your pain. Moveforwardpt.com also includes resources that explain how physical therapists can help patients prepare for and recover from total knee, hip, and shoulder replacements, in addition to numerous other procedures and conditions. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.